big part of me getting help for my sexual addiction was realizing that there was a very hungry, a very voracious appetite in me to feed on stuff that was not going to give me life. Like a very hungry, living, dead baby. ASI Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, episode number 17. Six feet down, coming out of the ground Looks like it's getting around It's a virus, apocalyptic You won't survive this, you can't predict it Hey, chaotic, psychotic That defying, lifeless logic It's scary, supernatural Knock me down, I'm so compactable Not dead, I'm dead A new creation, zombie regeneration Fresh flesh, but I don't need a headshot Still hot by uh, Family Force 5. My name is Russ Shaw. Again, ASI247.org. Click on the music tab and all the songs are right there at your fingertips uh, for you to download off iTunes or whatever. Um, literally, if you're using a touchpad or an iPhone, right at your fingertips. Anyway, uh, getting right into it today... I'm just going to leave all the, the stuff that I usually say about the show, you know, ASI247.org, all that, okay, you go to the website, it's all there, so that's all I got. I'm just going to throw that right, boom, over there. Uh, done, <laughs> right? Intro, get the business out of the way. I, I play that song because it, it has a lot to do with, with the topic today, and it's kind of a throwback to... Uh, a show I did a while back about zombies, right? <laughs> back on, in Halloween, I was in the middle of the Tenth Commandment, going through the Decalogue series of shows, and talked about you know covetousness, you know this this kind of coveting energy that's never satisfied with anything, and it's like that kind of zombie energy where you just gotta intake and consume, you know. And there's a lot of that metaphor with sexual addiction where there was a hashtag on Twitter over the weekend and I kind of got into it a little bit I was sharing you know like you know he he might be a zombie when I think is what the hashtag was and I was you know like when he he won't commit to you when, when he gets all excited about consuming your body rather than knowing your heart and your soul um, I don't know there was a bunch of them I was thinking of and because 
I've been there, right? I'm a former sex addict. I was a sex addict for many, many years, decades, and it was a very sticky, very stubborn addiction. And I felt very much like a, a, a zombie, you know? And I don't want to regurgitate a lot of the stuff I said on the last show or be too redundant on the subject, but there's some new science that is... Uh, come up that I've learned and I wanted to share that with you and it totally reminded me of this zombie metaphor and I got emails from some of you guys you know in the past who are like you know I, I like the heart stuff Russ but I'm a I'm a do guy you know just give me something to do give me a mission and I'll uh, you know I'll go out and knock it out uh, so today I have some strategic do based um mission-based, right, kind of cognitive things to help fight this um, sexual addiction. Now, I'm not a doctor. I'm not your psychologist. This is not online digital therapy in any way, shape, or form. Um, I've just learned some stuff as a guy who was totally stuck, very stubbornly addicted for for the better part of 20 years, all right? And, and the fact that I'm free from that is miraculous. And I'm just going to share some of it with you, all right? And it's funny how some of my loudest critics come through my email box rather than going after me publicly. I guess that's the good thing about talking about a, a touchy subject like sexual addiction that, you know, I, I don't know. If you're that... Uh, passionate about how I'm not qualified to talk about what I'm talking about, why wouldn't you share it publicly? I'll tell you why. Because you struggle and you don't got all the answers and, and you're pissed that, that I'm sharing some of my story here. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, if you like the show, can I tell you something? If this show's done anything for you, if it's helped you in any way, shape, or form, uh, if you just it just helps you, I don't know, as a supplement to your your counseling or whatever you're doing. Man, again, if you could leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Um, Stitcher doesn't really have reviews. You just click thumbs up or you mark the favorites button. Uh, that would really help the show because, can I tell you something? For those of you in the uh, ASI Nation... I don't know. I'll just I'll use that. Since every radio show I listen to now seems to call themselves a nation, I'll I'll go ahead and throw my hat in the ring as well. This is the ASI Nation. <laughs> um, if you again, if you like the show, man, if you could leave a review, there's a lot of folks that would love to see this thing go down. All right, they would love to see the ASI podcast just yanked up off the internet because they don't like it. So again, if you could man, leave a review. I, I totally appreciate it. And listen, this is a faith-based podcast, all right? It's like Donald Miller said about his book, Blue Like Jazz, and I totally agree. Um, this podcast is about non-religious views on Christian spirituality, you know, at, at its heart. Um, I believe that faith and science aren't mutually exclusive. I, I believe that... Um, there's a lot that can be learned about the mind and that we are in fact a spirit with a body but the body part the flesh part understanding that is important so I, I talk about some of that I've talked about things like um, cognitive behavioral therapy CTB right it, realigning our cognitions is one of the um, 
mind-based kind of disciplines that that I was I didn't even know that's what I was doing until I started listening to lectures on it. Uh, that's what a lot of the strategies I talk about in the show um, on a works basis are about. Also, another cool thing that helped me articulate something that that the Bible talks about when it comes to judgment is understanding cognitive dissonance. Not that the Bible does a poor job of explaining that, but just to bring it up for modern psychology in a way that, you know, I could articulate and people could understand. Um, It's like C.S. Lewis was asked, why do you write so many theology books? By his friend um, J.R. Tolkien, okay, the guy that wrote uh, the Rings books, Lord of the Rings books, friend of C.S. Lewis's, and, and he asked, "Why do you, why do you spend so much time writing theology books, and why not more um, books like the Chronicles of Narnia?" And C.S. Lewis said, he said that because there's so many religious people that write about theology in ways that most of us. Um, rational thinking, common sense people don't understand. He goes, until more, you know, religious people can write in a way that that the common person can comprehend. I'm going to keep writing, you know, theology books. So, again, it's kind of like that's what I do on the show. Why do I talk about science in in psychology so much, and then link that to faith? It's because a lot of you know people will tell these Bible stories and I'm sitting there going how am I supposed to integrate that in my everyday life that's great that you know Paul and Silas and the the Macedonians and the Canaanites and you know I don't have a camel and uh, I live in Western English speaking world um, 2012 I got a minivan you know not a camel <laughs> see what I'm saying so I have CS Lewis's heart a little bit that we could debate in this free-flowing economy of ideas right in not just not intellectualizing our faith but describing it in terms that 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 impact our lives today right so the show is called attitudes of sexual integrity and basically yeah I've kind of added this as I two four seven right kind of uh, thought to it or attitude to it and that's really the crux of my message is that it's it's about attitude like you change your attitude you change your heart you change your direction attitude is is a huge part of overcoming addiction um uh, the ability to be loving and open towards other people uh, with an attitude, right, a heart-level attitude uh, of love and, and giving and kindness and patience. The stuff is just incredibly important. And it's also, at times, especially when things are tough, it's incredibly difficult. Attitude. I was talking with a listener, uh, chatting back and forth via email, and he was telling me about a book he was reading um about the the lizard brain, right? The, this part of the brain that evolutionary biologists have called the lizard brain. And it all started, in their view, with this kind of reptilian type of brain, you know. And, and I'm always the thinker who's pushing beyond that. Like, okay, well, what was before that, you know? And how did that just evolve? I, I have questions. But anyway, this is 
this is what a lot of people believe. This is what they teach in colleges, in high schools. And if you know, uh, hopefully this is not new to you. A lot of you have heard this before. Um, if you've finished high school or have been to college, we, you know, in their view, we evolved from chickens or lizards, and and that the core of our brain is is based on you know these layers, and it started with this kind of lizard type of brain and that's where our fight and flight comes from it's where our appetites come from you know sexuality and desire and and freud who would talk about the id which is basically the super ego that all of us have this um you know we, we, we want to fight <laughs> i mean we have this kind of rise up in this super ego kind of confidence in certain times of our lives and it's it's more often than not the confident people, right? The people with attitude um, that will rise to the occasion of getting the job, getting the promotion, is not necessarily the most qualified person, right? That's just true. Sociologists have been able to prove that over and over again. Um, but is that the lizard brain, right? Is that that deep kind of... Um, uh, evolutionary biology that's in us and what is some of this new science on that part of the brain it's called the amygdala and the cerebellum you know these deep parts of the, the inner brain and I've heard philosophy teachers that have said oh, well this is your heart right that's a human heart it's just your reptilian brain and going back to some of the stuff that Freud said um, Today, and, and, and listening to some of the lectures I've listened to on this subject and on the topic, like at Yale University, and this guy, Paul Bloom, who's, you know, he's talking about Freud and saying, really, the only, the only information you're going to find on Freud in, at Yale is, is going to be mainly in the history department. Um, <laughs> the, the, this guy, Rich Ivory at, at Berkeley, who's talking about cognitive architecture, um, I'm listening to Jeremy Wolf right now at MIT, and he's a professor. He's talking about, he actually used the word that the brain was created to. Like, I caught him using that word, those kind of words, you know? Um, cognitive architecture, uh, stuff like that. I mean, they're finding that this part of the brain, it actually handles, it's like a switchboard handling, like, billions of synapses in minutes. I mean, the brain is a is a massive computer that is just uh, again this this irreducible complexity of mathematics. This people that think your brain just evolved that way, um, man, they're, they're, I get a lot of questions. <laughs> right? You think that over billions of years? All right, all right. Anyway, I'll set that down. All right, that's for a argument for another day. Um, C.S. Lewis, on the other hand, who was a very devout Christian and a very intellectual kind of man who taught at Oxford University and Cambridge, he believed, you know, that yes, we evolved and the Creator engineered it that way. Like, that's how he believed. Um, he believed that the book of Genesis was a lot of metaphor in God's way of speaking baby talk to us so that we would understand it. You know, I mean, that was that was his worldview, that um, the, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, a lot of these old stories in Genesis were simply a way for God to describe to ancient civilizations and people that were, right, 
not that intellectual, so they would have something to do with the, the fall of man and the, the topic of sin. Um, I don't tend to believe that way, but I think it's kind of cool that C.S. Lewis did, and I like to throw that at some of the evolutionary philosophers or biologists and say, all right, well, what if, like Lewis said, that the Creator engineered it that way? You know, like you hear guys like Stephen Hawking who say that, oh well, the, the, the heart, you know, the the lizard brain, the reptilian brain is a is a meaning maker, you know, and we're just trying to create different meanings for our lives all of the time. And then if you go back into theology, this guy Martin Luther, he said kind of the same thing, only in theological terms. He said that we are idolaters and that the heart is an idol factory that it's constantly creating a, a god or gods to worship and serve and, and find meaning in, right? And, and C.S. Lewis, he would say that the creator made it that way, engineered it that way. And I know, I, w I said I wasn't going to spend a lot of time in apologetics, but really, I, I love this stuff where science and theology meet and collide. And we can see, even more importantly, how our worldview has been shaped and where we're going and how we got here, right? And this has to, everything to do with beliefs and, and this part of the brain and um, faith. Right. Uh, some new science on, on the amygdala, for example, is that it is a recorder of emotion. That it's not just where all of our emotions come from, but there are memories that, that come from where, right, that flow through this part of the brain. It's our memory saver. Music is experienced in this part of the brain. Fear, desire, yeah, but is it because, you know, the, the cerebellum and the temporal lobe are somehow playing out some savage, instinctual, reptilian aggression, you know, or sexuality, and we just shouldn't suppress that, or it's just how we're made, it's just how we are, it's just how we evolved, is that is that what people believe? Um, <laughs> a lot of people do. Some new science on it also is... Your self-talk exists in this um, so-called reptilian brain. Now, this is curious because self-talk is not experienced by lizards, you know, fish, reptiles. They don't have the mental capacity for language. So they don't sit there and, and talk to themselves like we do. We have this constant cognitions, right? This constant self-talk, this dialogue with ourselves. And that self-talk, can I tell you something? It changes how you feel over time, what you actually say to yourself. So this had me thinking about the zombie metaphor and how, you know, there's a certain way, there's different ways of thinking about this, but there's a lot of people that would say that you should just give in to your desires and your animal lusts and all that, and all that's just fine. And we have a temptation to believe that because we really want to be happy in life, right? And then I was thinking about the vampire metaphor and how that, you know, Dracula and Bram Stoker really brought this character to life in an era when Charles Darwin's book came out. 
It was this time in human history when new forms of media were being invented, and there was a real right angst and, and collision of worldviews competing for people's attention and affection. Today, in our culture, it seems like the, the zombie metaphor, and zombies are in the news, you know, this guy in Miami ate another guy's face off, he was high on some synthetic um, drug that, that made him all crazy, and there was another story about this recently, I guess. Um, so, zombies are kind of right, right at the, in the news, and in culture, and in TV shows, and movies, um, and it's kind of like that seems to be some of the, you know, I, I don't know, maybe that's the culture reflecting, you know, arts, where there's just a lot of people who, not physically eating other people, but just, you know, just devouring for the sake of devouring, just consuming for the sake of consuming, right? And that's where their heart is. It's very much like that zombie metaphor. Not giving life, but just just using it up and, and just, you know, voraciously going after it on, on a, just a flesh level. The word zombie actually means spirit of the dead, right? I talked about that in the last zombie show, but it, it bears repeating. Like the song says, not dead, undead. It's just this, yeah, alive but dead. Also, it's not that we just give ourselves over to the discipline of logic as well. Uh, Aristotle, uh, ancient Greeks, and then you look at the Eastern religions where they just you know meditate, try and get out of emotion because emotions are bad. You know, desire is bad, so we need to not desire stuff, and it would just think logically all the time, and and then we'll be better, right? Human beings that way. This was a kind of psychology that became really popular in the 50s and 60s. He had this character like Spock in Star Trek who was kind of built off this type of thinking, just logic-based, makes you stronger, makes you more intelligent if you can get rid of your emotions. So this character Spock, and then later on Data was an android in, in some of the other Star Trek shows, and he's this, you know, this guy that doesn't have emotions, or he's trying to have emotions, and you know, and, and the funny thing about that is they're finding nowadays with cognitions and, and neuroscience that without emotions, you wouldn't do anything. All right, that's just true. We don't, we wouldn't do anything. There's no reason for you to do anything if you didn't have a motivational want to, to do what you do. So. First one would be just giving yourself over to that animal, vampire, zombie-like lust, which we've seen the path of destruction over the years with that, right? And then the second one in dealing with this, you know, part of the brain is just to be a logic person in the discipline of logic. And you see that with you know, religious people and psychologists and right. I mean, imagine if the world was like that. There'd be no art. There'd be no music. It would just be boring people doing like tax paperwork all the time, right? And then there's the third way of thinking about this part of the brain, which is the yin-yang, right? And that goes to some of that, of course, Eastern philosophy as well. But it's to say that you have a light side and a dark side and that you should just, you know, let the two get along and balance themselves out. Christianity is going to say, 
that there's a thing called sin and that we're to repent of sin. Jonathan Edwards, who's a famous Puritan, you know, early church father, a great quote by him, he said, you be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's a great quote. And it also points to this fact of recovery and repentance and some of this zombie myth that, you know, the zombies are trying to eat the living people. The living dead people are attacking the living people, you know? We got these two different, this flesh, this voracious flesh appetite and this spiritual life-giving, life-wanting-to-live appetite. And the two are at odds. The disciplines that I talk about in the show are really rather simple. You know, I would have a really short book if it was the disciplines on how to cure sexual addiction. Like, it's just, I don't know, man. That The how-to industry is just... Uh, it's just weird to me, all right? So, yeah, some of this is going to be fighting that part of your brain that wants to constantly be paying attention to just fleshy images that, that you can feast on. Don't let your eyes feast on stuff that is going to enslave you, all right? It's, that's in one discipline. Another one is watching your thought life. When you start to think about sexual encounters, when you start to have those images pop in your brain, it's like a temptation. Some of these cognitions, they pop into your head. I don't think they all come from you. I do believe in spiritual warfare, that there is spiritual forces that are trying to keep us enslaved. So they're going to constantly throw out these hooks and they're going to try and get you to bite that hook. You know, these sexual images. And then you start to make a story out of it. Your imagination runs with it. You stop letting your imagination run with sexual imagery. And it will start to fade, all right? I'm living proof of that. You don't... It's like Pavlov's dog. This is another cool thing he was talking about with the this part of the brain, right? That... It, you know, Pavlov's dog, he rings the bell, the dogs salivate because they know they're getting food. You know, they associate bell ringing with food. Bell rings, they get food. So bell rings, they salivate. And even dogs, if you keep ringing the bell and not feeding the dogs, eventually, eventually, the dogs will not salivate, you know? Dogs are so much like us, it's fascinating, you know? They, evolutionary biologists will say we evolved from monkeys, but it's funny how socially we're a lot like dogs, you know, we're like, like pack animals. We're, you know, loyal in some ways and, and you know, we're association creatures. People say, oh, well, you, a dog will love you no matter what, you know, your dog's all excited when you get home from work and wagging his tail and excited to see you. The dogs are just that way. Well, if you come home every day and you beat your dog with a golf club, can I tell you something? After a while, he's not going to be wagging his tail and he's not going to be all happy to see you. Dogs don't do that if they are physically abused like that over time. So it's realizing that your addiction owns you and you don't own your addiction. And part of that is kicking out this yin-yang philosophy. I mean, there's no conviction in that. If you just think that you have this dark side and you need to just let it live, 
You know, it's just going to have its its say every so often. My wild side needs to come out every so often. If you believe that, there's no conviction in you to get away from that monster. I mean, it'll it'll say that to you. It has a voice, right? I mean, it's like uh, hungry. It's part of your self-talk. You got to kick that voice out, not coddle it. Again, you know, those Red Lizard shows. I talked about the, the C.S. Lewis's uh, uh, example and uh, metaphor of the, the Red Lizard in the Great Divorce Story. Back and listen to those shows. Um, some of the shows where I talked about the, the computer metaphor or the theater metaphor, right? Like you have a theater in your mind and you're going to let certain players into your theater. I mean, these are different cognitive examples and attitudes of taking this thing on for real. But again, if you don't have a, I'm going to kill it, right? You be killing sin or it be killing you. If you think that, oh, there's no such thing as sin. If you're just a relativist who thinks you have that wild side you need to feed, man, it's going to kick your ass, all right? I'm just being honest with you because I love you. You go after it and you pray to God and you ask for his strength and you ask for his Holy Spirit to help you discipline your mind, right? To help you walk this thing out, to help you run the race set before you. And listen, if you're a religious person, I, I pray that you don't fall for the temptation of religion right? Some of this logic-based rule-checking-off. I've got my software downloaded, and I'm counting on that to save me. Man, I really believe that with all my heart, that it's good for you to have that in the beginning. Yes, in the beginning, in the compulsive phases and start of fighting this thing, absolutely. You should have X3 software on, on all of your devices. But over time, you need to get past the point where you need some kind of a fence between what your flesh wants and what you want, right? Your heart needs to not need that extra software over time, all right? There's some of you that think you're going to have to have that on your phone or on your iPad or on your computer forever and it, that's just not true and if you think that way man I, I think you you need to repent of your religion that's a religious way of thinking listen if you're so ingrained in religious works and you guys know who you are man I, I'm going to challenge you to, to get into the book of Galatians and just start reading that book man Take some time out of your day to get alone and talk to God, pray to God, and, and watch for some of those words to jump off the page. Maybe journal about them, all right? But get into that book and pray for the Holy Spirit to give you new want-tos. And I know how you feel, man. There's some of you guys who are thinking, you know, oh, this is always going to be there, and I'm always going to have to deal with this. And there's some truth in that, but can I tell you something? For a guy six years clean from this thing, that part of me no longer resides as president of my penis, all right? It no longer has control over my genitals like it used to. Man, when I first started this podcast, can I tell you something? I am a lot freer from this thing than I thought I would be. 
And that's miraculous. And I thank you, Jesus, for that. I thank you, God, for that. And I won't lie, man. It took some discipline. It took some heart work, you know. And, and probably the biggest and hardest thing to do was relinquishing my stubborn heart to the fact that he actually loves me, you know. That he knows the thoughts of my mind, right? This self-talk. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. And, and something I wanted to add on this show as a, as a discipline, a good kind of discipline, is, is realizing your self-talk. All right? Pray without ceasing is a kind of a cognitive thing. It's not that we're sitting there in a, you know, our hands folded and eyes closed, but it's talking to God in your mind throughout the day. It's building that relationship with Him. It's letting go of some of this religious, fear based behavior modification. Like, God's going to kick my butt. God's not going to like me. God's not going to love me if, you know, because I'm struggling here. That's just not true, you know? It's different worldview than this um, religious, do this, do that, you know, ch checklist making. Um, our pastor preached a sermon last Sunday. I want to put a link on the website to it. It was so good. And he actually preaches it on the steps of the Temple of Artemis in Turkey. That's modern-day Turkey today. And he talks about um, some of these dead churches. It's the letters to the churches in the book of Revelations. And, and this one church, Jesus doesn't have a whole lot of positive things to say. And I pray for some of you that have been wounded by religion or hurt, or hurt by religion or confused by religion and religious people. Maybe you've been a part of a dead church. You know, I mean, some of this Nietzsche's talk about God is dead, man. That's about religion. Where a passion for Jesus, a passion for God is just dead in that church. Revelations chapter 3, Jesus says to a church, he's like, I know you have a reputation for being alive and being excited and having that ah, energy, right? But you're dead. You're a dead church spiritually. And I get this real temptation to look at other Christians and other churches and say, well, that's Christianity, and, and that's how all Christians are. It's not how all Christians are. It's how a lot of them are. I'll give you that. But it's not, it's not about us being alone and sitting on uh, some throne of our own hearts, living by some set of rules like varsity, you know, college graduates or being born into some rich family you know and looking down on the peasants that's that's not what Christianity is about it's about a relationship with God and, and listen so if you look at the if you look at the crowd who just says just follow your heart crowd right you can do it you're awesome you sit on the throne of your heart man that leaves you alone and there's a lot of places, man, that love to feed into that. They make a ton of money off that. Just pay $29.95 and you can, you know, be a part of our website or buy our books and audios. And, you know, you'll get free of 
sexual addiction or obeseness or smoking or drinking or, right? Christianity says, you know, the, we'll just give it away. That's what I'm doing this podcast. I'll just give all my secrets away. I may write a book in the future. I think I got a book in me, and there's a lot of people that like to read and have a hard time listening to me. I get that. So I do think I got a book in me, but it's not not because I want to make a million dollars and want to feed, you know, some individualist, there is no God, animal, right, savage, amygdala, right, temporal lobe. Breaks my heart to think that there's people out there that you think I'm just here to create something to serve your temporal lobe lizard brain and to motivate you to to stop doing this thing that owns you, man. I, I pray that, I mean, that's just such a alone, dark, spiritual place to be. As well as it is an alone, dark, spiritual place to be in religion where you're checking off this list of rules and you think that you've got to, you know, be good enough and try hard enough to get to a place where God's going to love you because that also is a dark spiritual place. It just leaves you alone. God says, I'm jealous for you, you know. I I love you. I'm after you. I want you to desire me like a bride desires a groom. That's God's language towards us. It's love-based, relationship-based worldview. Not going to hell is something that we accept as a gift. It's called grace. And that grace changes us from the inside out. You know, it's not that you, oh, I, I can't change, so I'm going to hell. It's that you aren't going to hell, and you can and will change as a result of knowing and believing and understanding and having that in your bones, right, in your heart, in your soul, knowing that you're forgiven, knowing that you've been given grace, knowing that changes you from the inside out. If you think you have to perform in order to not go to hell, that's just fear-based behavior modification. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is dark, spiritually dead, works-based religion. And again, that book of the Bible, Galatians, is a, is a letter to people who are believing that way. So is the book of Hebrews. There's another one. Um, different audiences. But both very works-based religious. We get a new identity. We get to slay the zombies of the past. And we get to slay the zombies that want to feed in the future. We get to go to work to do that. We get the Holy Spirit of God. We get to be filled with that Spirit to help us and give us strength for that battle. Because you're going to need it, man. going to need it. But you get a new heart. You get a new mind, you get new will, you get new desires over time.
its citizens at my church, Marzoom Church. And, 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 and let me know how this is hitting you. Um, talk to me, alright? If you become a Christian, a, a real blood-bought, right? Not a religious person. God, we don't need any more of those, please. I pray for blood-bought Christians to come to, to Jesus and, and to be changed from the inside out. If you've done that, man, if you've prayed the prayer that, that's just asking him to take up residence in in your soul, um, send me an email. It's Russ at ASI247.org. I'd love to hear from you. Um, any questions, comments, whatever you got, send me your email. And until uh, next week, till next week, listen, put the living dead things to death, right? Put the zombies down and live your life. Take some leaps of faith. Let your affections be stirred for long-term growth and life, man. Love you guys. Until next time. Bye. In tenderness you saw me Weary and sick with sin And on his shoulders brought me Back to his fold again Of hell.